0: Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools, if it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan.
1: Welcome to the Full Court Press. Happy Tuesday to you one and all for one year kickoff time. Is it Welcome. It's Tuesday, right? It is Tuesday. Okay. Happy Tuesday, everybody, for our one-year kickoff time, All day long, it'll be Tuesday. On 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and dot thefancom and of course, our streaming on the mobile app, uh, whatever that is, 106.9.
2: 106.9 The Fan, mobile yeah. app.
1: Yeah, that. That one? Yeah.
2: yeah. It's a good one.
1: Yeah, it is a good one. Uh, Eric Francis there, I'm RJ Salison, thanks for joining us, however and wherever you are. Uh, Eric, You annoyed, you ignored your text messages yesterday that you got. Shame on you. I ignored the text messages that I got? Yeah, from the uh from uh you know, our listeners. You didn't even you didn't even talk about them. Uh 4353390321. Oh, they
2: came into the program?
1: Yeah. I did not ignore them. Are you sure?
2: Yeah, positive.
1: Oh, okay. Looks like they they you left them on red. you left them on delivered, I should uh, say. I
2: think You and I view them differently.
1: Yeah, that's all. Actually, that is very much true. I found that out really quickly. (laughs) If you want to text into our show, I would never ignore. Yes, you would. Or neglect. Yes, you would. Our audience. Do you know who the worst about? Okay, I I shouldn't bring his name up because I know it's like you're saying the devil's name here, but Scott Gerard is the worst about ignoring messages and ignoring your phone calls. Like, you'll be calling. Maybe he's a busy guy. Something important, and then he won't call you back. But then three days later, he'll call you, and then you don't answer, and he's like, call me back. Dude, like, he just, (laughs) he will ignore your text messages and phone calls and whatever until he feels like he wants to get back to you. I love the guy. I absolutely I love the guy, but my goodness.
2: Maybe he's just busier than you.
1: Oh, wow. He's
2: got more going on.
1: Wow. <laughs> 435-339-0321 if you want to text into our show. Again, four three five three three nine zero three two one. A busy show to get to. Jazz basketball. They uh, take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight in Brooklyn. Part of the game two of this East trip that they have. Um, it started in San Antonio where they demolished the Spurs. Now they play the Kevin Durantless Brooklyn Nets. And without Spencer Dinwiddie, who is out for the rest of the year. And then they take on the Knicks tomorrow, and then the Bucks, led by Sam Merrill <laughs> on Friday night. Uh, we we hope. hope. Yeah, we, we hope. hope. He did. He had an ankle injury. Sam's missed a few games. Uh, a minor ankle injury. Uh, and so, uh, but he, for I've been told, he'll be back for Friday night's game against Utah Jazz. So, we will not be airing tonight's Utah Jazz game because they're Skyview Basketball. Uh, that's at 7 o'clock, John Neubold on the call. And we will not be airing Friday night's game of Utah Jazz versus the Bucks, which is extremely unfortunate. I know we've got Skyview basketball, but we can't just, like, give John Nuble the night off. No. Why would we? Because we want to hear Sam Merrill for three. We want to hear Sam Merrill. All right? I love John Neubold. And I love Coach Hilliard. And those Bobcat kids are great Bobcat kids. But we will not be airing that game, the Utah Jazz game, on Friday night. So out of, this, out of the week of three games, we're going to air one game for you. That will be the Knicks and the Jazz thrown out at 5.30, 5.15 pregame with David Locke and Ron Boone. And Eric and I will have, have a short show and step off tomorrow. Uh, by the way, where are you going on Friday? You uh, What what you doing, Friday? You're, you're going to be gone. Absent. I, I. But I, I will... I will still join you if you if you would have me. I'll think about it. I'll let you know. I'm pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to call you. I tried to say that up. with a straight face, and I gotta tell you that was so hard. Uh, Two seven seven six texted. Hey, remember in September when AJ and AJ were appall
2: apoplectic. What does that mean? You were going crazy.
1: That Russell Wilson didn't have a first place MVP vote, or should I save this for what for what went wrong Wednesday? You can save it, but that was in September. I do remember that. I remember show, talking though. about
2: it in the fall. I don't remember specifically. Oh, if dude, it I, was I lost September my mind that he didn't have but.
1: a first place vote.
2: Yeah, I think that was in one of our stats that blew our minds. Yeah, that that's right. type of careers that he'd had and he never once had a vote.
1: Aaron Rodgers is running away with that, agreed?
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, the the race is, uh, I think it's pretty well decided, there may be somebody wow. that still says i think it's
1: decided yeah i
2: think there's maybe somebody who still might say oh give it to mahomes or um maybe a few other people might get considered you know josh allen um but uh yeah i think it's it's aaron rodgers trophy to lose and unfortunately i don't know it, it might be another year that goes by with uh, without a, a single vote going to russell wilson
1: we were getting to the MVPs and awards from of our predictions later on in the night. We'll also look at the Heisman Trophy uh, finalists, and we'll give our pick on that one, though I think that one's also a runaway. Uh, 2776 text in, it's because he puts up four good games here, but not 16 like Rodgers this year. Jackson last year, or Jackson last year, I think is what he's saying, um... Yeah, I look Rodgers have been good all year long.
2: It's a fair point.
1: He's been great all year long. But look, the,
2: the Seahawks they had a good year. Look, I'm pulling are they were 12 and 4. So he, they put together a strong season. They they won the last 4 games of the regular season. They finished strong. Um and in in the games they lost, they weren't blown out. When hell Mary pass away, you know, against the Cardinals, Bills beat them by ten. Okay, but they were in the game against the Rams. They were in the game against the Giants. I mean, three of their four losses were a touchdown or less. So that
1: that's a good Seattle team. But here's the thing, though: how much is that? How much of that is credit to? Actually, you know, we'll save that. We'll get into all the MVP talk here in the second hour. We also have the stat that blew our mind. We have a player of the week. You'll hear from Craig Smith, who spoke to the media as the Utah State Aggies get ready for the New Mexico Lobos in Lubbock, Texas, at Lubbock Christian University. Speaking of which, a schedule update. The Utah State Aggie game on January 8th has been moved from 9 p.m. Mountain Time to 7 p.m. Mountain Time. But don't expect the game to start on time. Why? Because, Eric, Lubbock Christian University's men's and women's basketball team also play that same day. The men's play at 5.30 that evening. And so, uh, to say that the men... I guess that would be four thirty our time. Four thirty our time. So if any of those either of those games go into OT, that game for the Utah State is getting pushed back. Just brace for it. Just brace for it. Uh, that game will be on FS one. The uh, tomorrow night's game will be on F no. Yeah, tomorrow night's game will be on CBS Sports Network. By the way, a reminder, next Thursday and Saturday against San Diego State, uh, Thursday night's game is on FS1. Saturday's game is at 11 a.m. Boy, you and Alan, that group over there, is getting early morning. Uh, Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Clark Kellogg will be on the call. Uh, along, uh, he'll be the analyst. We do not know who the play-by-play guy is as of yet, from what I've been told. But Clark Kellogg will be here in Logan. Nice. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. I need a. I need to snatch him. See if he'll jump on the show to talk NBA 2K with us. <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> oh, and, and then also a reminder, uh, we will have Craig Smith on our show uh, either next Monday or Tuesday. We're working through – Eric and I will be working through some scheduling stuff. Uh, but we'll have him on our show to talk uh, as they get ready for the San Diego State Aztecs ne- next week. Not looking ahead, but looking ahead, to be honest with you. Um, this New Mexico team is is different, um, and they've been through a lot of adversity uh, just with starting practices late, getting games in late, um, didn't play a really great non-conference schedule at no fault of their own. They had to get what they could get. Uh, but then they've come into conference play, lost two to Boise, and then lost two to Nevada. So after winning three in a row in non-conference, they're 0-4 now in or uh, in conference play. So they're 3-4, and 0-4 in conference play as they get ready for the Utah State Aggies. Again, that tomorrow night's game is at 8 o'clock. Our time no seven o'clock our time right, and then and then uh, seven o'clock on Friday, I think I have that, or is it eight o'clock tomorrow instead? It's eight o'clock tomorrow, seven o'clock on Friday. Sorry. Yes. I think
2: that is correct. But uh maybe you know you you work your magic and uh, speak it into existence, and it changes. Now eight o'clock tomorrow on CBS Sports Network, and then the Friday game has been moved up. And that'll be on FS1 and uh, from 9 o'clock to 7. Is that what you said? Yeah,
1: at 9 to 7. Yep.
2: So it'll be at 7
1: o'clock Friday night. Uh, 2776. Sorry, voice to text. Yeah, I, I understand. I've done that. People who voice to text me, I can tell who it is just because of the, the way the text comes out. Uh, and then he says, Sorry for using big words, Ajay. You know what? Don't. In India, we actually say it differently. <laughs> So it's okay. Oh, we're going down that path again. <laughs> uh, Nine three one five. I like this question. Will Matt Wells be at the game? You know, hey, it could be. It could be. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, he's probably
2: going to be on the road doing the last he's, ditch stuff for recruiting. Yeah, it's When's, a very when? busy month for When's coaches. The
1: signing days at that the That's first early can... February? Okay.
2: Yeah, very first part of February. And did but Blake, who knows? There could be a chance he's in town and pops over to see uh, why not some people that he knows.
1: Uh. Blake Anderson said he was going to be aggressive in this early, or I mean in this part of the signing period, right? Yes. I remember he said he wouldn't be as aggressive with the early signing period, but this one he's definitely going after some kids. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to see what he gets for an offense that they're going to run and a defense that they're going to have, which brings us to our next point. Utah State continues to add on to their staff. Let's get to it. At the defensive line coaching position, it'll be Al, or excuse me, coming back to Utah State, will be Al Lappe. Is a Lapu right? Yes, very good. Thank you. My goodness. Uh, pronunciation guide by Doug Hoffman is very, very valuable. Uh, he'll be the fourth year with the Utah State football program. He spent in the 2020 season as a strength and conditioning graduate assistant uh, in the 18-19 season uh, as a defensive graduate assistant working with the defensive line. I remember talking to Justin Enna about him. Uh, in uh, It was an off-the-record conversation, and, and he brought him up and said one of the smartest kids he had worked with ever, that this guy has it down. He's smart, uh, has a good mindset, has a good feel for the game, has a good feel for uh, making adjustments, and, and just, again, has the IQ... To hold a position like this, and 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 Anna told me that there'd be in no time that he'd be in a position such as a defensive line coach, and here he is now. And I, I think this is a good uh, good returning guy to have.
2: Well, before spending time as uh, you know, helping out with strength and conditioning last year, he was a graduate assistant, defensive graduate assistant, helping specifically with the defensive line. Um, so with. With him uh, being elevated, uh, DJT Olivea has been elevated from a graduate uh, offensive assistant focusing on tight ends to now he will be coaching tight ends as a position coach. Uh, those are two guys that are very familiar names. They're, they're Utah guys. They're from the state of Utah. They've been at Utah State. They've had success. They've been a part of successful, very high-level uh, teams at Utah State. They've gone on and done things a little bit in the NFL. Uh, And then they've had opportunities to to come back and bring that knowledge and experience back. And they've been on campus for a little while, and they're elevated to those positions. So uh, those are two positions right there that I'm particularly happy for because it's... uh, Chucky Keaton is certainly a very well-known name among Aggie fans, Um, and he brings a lot of um, cash... uh, uh, Not cash, but... Uh, name recognition, and mm. uh, certainly um, gravitas, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. But what I really like about the Lapuahu and Tialavea hires is that they are, they are Utah guys. They're from the state of Utah. They played high school ball in Utah. They went to Utah State, and they're Polynesian. With what's happened in the last month, Utah State, this football staff, still needs good representatives of the Polynesian Group and uh, communities to uh, still have those connections. So that's a very important part. Uh, and part of Utah State's success is uh, uh, having those strong connections to those to those groups. And so, uh, it, I think it's really vitally important that Utah State have some several staff members who are Polynesian who know those families who have those connections uh, that can help um, to mend some of the fences that have been broken down a little bit right now.
1: Another returning member of the Utah State coaching staff comes from the offensive side of the ball, and that tight ends coach will be (laughs) DJ Tialavea.
2: Yeah, I just literally just talked about DJ Tialavea. But,
1: yeah. Well. Yeah, it's good. Good for you. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the ones who were announced today. I'm getting there. Yeah. You always yell at me. Well, was okay. Talked about DJ. No. And oh, and don't pretend like Al-Paw-hoo I and like I didn't listen you were to here, you. So I, I still remember you when I was, you know, given a great I point, you a pass. asked you a question, and then you're like, "Oh, sorry, what were you?" Do- <laughs> I was watching a panda <laughs> eat a banana on the tree. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Let's go to break. No, uh, coming. <laughs> Uh, again, this is per Doug Hoffman and, of course, Blake Anderson, head coach of Utah State football team. Uh, Nick Peremski is the name that's a special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach at Utah State. Now, Peremski brings 17 years of collegiate coaching experience with him in Utah State. His uh, four seasons as a defensive coordinator, another two as a special teams coordinator. Uh, he's coached in four bowl games. He's been a part of five conference championship teams. He spent the last five years, of course, at Arkansas State and including he was the interim defensive coordinator in 2020 uh, with the Red Wolves. Uh, Eric, what do you find out of uh, Coach Nick Primsky as a special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach?
2: Well, I like that there's somebody who has that, uh, that emphasis. Uh, we've seen in years past when Utah State has somebody who's dedicated to special teams, that it can be a real strength and a weapon for Utah State. In years when it's by committee, it gets real shaky because who do you answer to? Who's who's responsible? And so it gets real shaky when it's a by-committee assignment. Uh, but Nick Paremski has a lot of experience on the defensive side. I like the, the, his experience um, that he'll be able to add in that uh, defensive uh, uh, room when they meet together with the linebackers. Uh, but I like that there's somebody who's got some, some emphasis on this staff focusing on special teams. And he's had a couple of seasons where that has been his focus. So, uh, it, it's another, uh, you know, good section uh, or good part of the, the staff that's come together coming from success at Arkansas state and bringing that experience with Blake Anderson and his connections, uh, and, uh, adding some depth to, uh, to that coaching staff.
1: And finally, well, not finally, but another coach that's going to be making his way to Utah State and will be on the offensive side of the ball will be the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. That is Kyle Cephalo. He has eight years of collegiate coaching experience. Um, He's been a part of six bowl games, two conference championship teams. Uh, He spent the past four years as the wide receivers coach at Arkansas State. Uh, He also helped out in the special teams co-coordinator role the last two years. Uh, Eric? Kyle Cephalo. Cephalo,
2: I'm really excited about this guy. I mean, he coaches great talent. Uh, multiple times, wide receivers at Arkansas State have been recognized as the conference Offensive Player of the Year. That's normally a, an award that goes to a quarterback or a running back, but he's produced several wide receivers that have gotten that recognition. Um, one of them was a uh, AP second-team All-American. Um and so he, he's produced some really great talent. And I, I think that with him, with his experience and what he's bringing back, I think he's a great recruiter, too, from reading between the lines here, um, watching this guy do his work. Uh, I think that's a big reason why uh, Devin Tompkins decided to change his mind and come back. Mm, good point. So, And then uh, we just learned yesterday, too, that w- one of the top wide receivers at Arkansas State is transferring to Logan. Yeah, So, again, huge. another recruiting victory for Kyle Cephalo and, and Blake Anderson.
1: And finally, as a defensive coordinator and safeties coach, Eric spoke this into existence just last week, actually, <laughs> Ephraim Banda. Uh, Ephraim Banda, who has had 10 years of collegiate coaching experience, two seasons as the co-coordinator. Um, he has been hired here as a defensive coordinator and safeties coach, again, as it was announced by Blake Anderson. He comes from uh, Utah State spending the last 5 years as the safeties coach for the Miami Hurricanes uh, including serving as a co-defensive coordinator the last 2 years and during his tenure at Miami he coached 5 defensive backs that went on to the NFL Eric your defensive coordinator Ephraim Banda
2: yeah he's got a lot he's got a deep connection with Blake Anderson he's been connected with him before uh, but uh, uh, this was a real coup i thought I, this one totally blew me away that that uh, Blake Anderson was able to get him away from uh, and a Miami team that's been improving, uh, that's a well-known team, uh, but he leaves from being a co-defensive coordinator to be the main guy on defense. Um, he's young. Uh, he's got a lot of energy, uh, but uh, he's he's been at several different, very significant places, Miami, Mississippi State, Texas. So he's got power five experience, and understanding that he'll be able to bring to Utah State. And uh, I'm excited to see how that translates to what kind of a defensive uh, schemes Utah State comes up with. But the way this defensive staff is coming together, uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I knew that Blake Anderson had connections with um, high-powered offensive you know, people, just with his own track record and his own coaching tree. So my big questions were, what was this defense going to look like? Who was going to be the the one calling up the defensive schemes? And uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about Ephraim Banda coming to Utah State from Miami.
1: Yeah, how about that again? And it's kind of weird, like, the way the hiring is gone with this team, like, you got an offensive line coach from UMass. You got a couple, you brought up a few guys from Arkansas State. And then all of a sudden, the guy from the U has the defensive coordinator, which is crazy.
2: Uh yeah, looking at this, I mean he's highly touted as a great recruiter as well. Um he's landed the number 1 ranked safety in the nation um in uh, the 2021 class and uh, uh another guy um from the uh the 2020 class. So, um he's uh <laughs> he knows how to go out and find great talent and he's part of a, a defense that that creates a lot of havoc and brings pressures uh, so uh, I I think it's really exciting to see about what's to coming ask together. You,
1: you saw a little bit of that uh, Miami game in the bowl game, and and had a chance to study up on on Coach Bando. What do you see this defense with the talent they have on here? What could you see that are do you could you see an aggressive defense? Is it conservative? I mean, how would you see them being?
2: No, I think it will be an aggressive defense. Um, that that bowl game didn't start out great for that Miami defense, but. Uh, they, they made some adjustments and kind of slowed some things down. Um, so that shows me that that's a, a defensive coaching staff that knows how to make adjustments. But um, I, I think that they'll be, based on the personnel, and, and granted everything's roses and looks great on the press release, but based on who's there and what their track records are, I, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a, an aggressive defense that's going to get after opposing teams.
1: Yeah, I would like to see – and, I, and I, I'd I, like to see defensive backs not play seven yards off the ball on third and one or third and five. Like actually play up in coverage, get in their space, uh, bump and run the whole way through as much as you possibly can, as much as you're allowed to. I, and, and I feel like we have the talent on this team defensively to make things happen, to force turnovers – uh, to, to get sacks. But again, it's just calling the right plays and being aggressive. And I feel like we haven't had that in the last two years.
2: Uh, Here's a couple of things. You know, Banda has been connected as a defensive coordinator or connected to that Miami defense. In 2018, they ranked fourth nationally in total defense. In 2019, uh, they were ranked 13th in total defense. Um, they've had multiple players earn all ACC honors. This last season, uh, they led the ACC in yards per pass attempt, ranked fourth nationally in tackles for loss, 16th in fumbles, recovered, 33rd in sacks. So It's an aggressive defense that gets after their opponents. They they make some things happen. Granted, it is Miami. I get it. It's a well-recognized school in a power conference. You're going to get some dudes there that Utah State just won't. But if you have that philosophy, if you're able to get some guys to follow you to Logan, and uh, he's known as a really good recruiter, um, that uh, yeah, that spells a lot of really good things for me for the future of Utah State.
1: It's good stuff. Uh, so, again, that's kind of where we're at in regards of, of the staff right now. I think that nearly completes it, doesn't it? Not yet. Uh, the strength
2: missing? and conditioning coach, which Blake Anderson was – really excited about has not been officially
1: named their bowl games over with too. So I'm surprised he hasn't been officially named yet. And he's, by the way, you're going to love where he's coming from. I, you're really going to be excited about where, uh, for our listeners, where, uh, this, he's good. Really, really, really good with a very, very saucy resume. You want to talk about like reaching out to big time people, the big time schools, Miami, you know, and this school that they're going to in the sec is, He's awesome. It's a great pickup. Uh, 9315, the new coach and recruiting are getting me excited to see spring ball. That's another great question is with this staff, how are like the recruiting process? I know the Miami guys just barely getting uh, out of Miami University and and now being able to get into the recruiting trail to bring kids to Utah State. Does he bring or is it possible, Eric, let me ask you this, realistically that he can maybe snag a couple kids with him to Utah State or are we reaching too far?
2: Um, that, I mean, would that be great? Obviously if that could happen, but if someone's, if Miami's deciding to move away from somebody who they were looking at before, um, maybe he can convince them to come to Utah state. There's kids from Florida that come to Utah state and play, and they've had some great outstanding players who have done that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I think that might be a bit of a stretch to think that he's going to snag a lot of Miami recruits uh, away and convince them to come to Utah State instead. But uh, certainly if he can influence some that maybe would have been on Miami's fringe or Miami looked at at one point and then have moved on, he can say, hey, look, I'm still in the game here with you. I'm still connected. Um, I've got a great spot for you where you can stand out and be a star rather than buried deep on a depth chart and fight your way and maybe you get some minutes in the ACC Come to Logan and you can be a star. you can be featured
1: that's a and good, everybody's going to a great you. point. I didn't think about that because and they would be featured like if we are bringing over a five star guy, and I know you've talked about this before, you said, look, Bobby Wagner was what two stars, three stars. um Jordan Love was not ranked very high. no and, and, and so the star I mean Jagggis
2: never get five stars. No. I don't know I don't know that I've heard of a four star maybe there's been a few.
1: But the way this Most defense or three stars or less. is depleted in, in such a way that they do need that kind of talent, which would really help, I would not, I mean, that's what I would kind of tag him and say, hey, look, you want to start immediately. You want to play Utah State inside of a OKP or G5 conference, but against a nice, delicious schedule. I, I mean, and on national television, games on CBS Sports Network, games on FS1. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you I, still get national exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll start. Because if you're if you're making the roster at Miami, you're going to probably be starting at Utah State. So, interesting to to, uh, to see how and where that will go.
2: And speaking of recruiting, and uh, some of these recruiting wins that are taking place are guys who were here before trying to keep the locker room together and keep the current uh, players on you know, in an Aggie uniform, uh, he. We already mentioned Devin Tompkins was uh, putting himself in the transfer portal, was going to leave, and then he changed his mind and said, "You know what? No, I am going to come back." And another one happened today. Cash Gilliam, he was going to leave. He was on the way out. He was he was out, and today he posted on Twitter. He says, "You know what? I'm coming back to Logan. Excited
1: to be here." Okay, so let me ask you though, and and we're, if if we can speak honestly with each other, Eric. Cash was not good last year. Struggled in so many ways. Um, Got beat a lot, especially in that open one, the first two games. I mean, they chewed him up and spit him out. You just didn't get what you were hoping for out of him. What do you do? I mean, do you put him back in the defensive backfield with less responsibility um, and and maybe still start him, Or do you have him come off and maybe not start, but maybe come off the sideline? Uh, why? I, how does he fit? Cause he struggled last year a lot.
2: Well, he wasn't the only one. There True. were a lot of guys who struggled. True. And look, I last year, I think you have a hard. I have a hard time being overly critical of anybody. Last year, the fact that anybody was able to get on, a, put on a uniform, and get out there and play is a minor miracle. Uh, with everything that was going on with stuff on the court, off the court. In the locker room, uh, court, field, sorry. Uh, in the locker room, um, feelings of disrespect coming from the administrative level, um, you know, w- w- trying to deal with the COVID protocols and contact tracing. I think it's hard to be overly critical of, of too many players. So uh, if you get somebody who, is, who has experience in your program and has some talent, who was going to leave and you get them to come back, I think that's a win. I, I, I class that up as a win. And look, here's a new staff that maybe is able to refocus and redirect some things and get, get these guys dialed in so they can be real assets for that defensive side or offensive side or wherever they
1: were before they decided to leave. All right, let's take a break. Coming back, let's move from the college gridiron to the pro gridiron. A lot of head coach and GM openings. What college coaches do we see maybe making the jump and what kind of NFL coaches who maybe even let go, maybe have a chance to go and coach some college ball. And is there a good thing for a pro coach to go down to a college level and maybe coach a Power 5 or a G5 team and uh, hopefully pick up a new start? That's all coming up here on the Full Court Press. Hey, don't forget, we also have the stat that blew our mind. Uh, we'll get into our Player of the Week, Utah Jazz, Utah State, Craig Smith. You'll hear from him. Uh, I think like I'm missing something, Staton player. What's up?
2: Breaking news: uh, positive case within the New Mexico women's basketball program. Oh! The two-game series here in Logan Boo. has been postponed. Uh, rescheduled dates will be announced once finalized by the Mountain West and both institutions. So, Utah State women—they were getting ready to host New Mexico this week, and uh, this just dropped from the Mountain West. But uh, that that series has been postponed. It's too bad. I mean, the, the women they've been playing great, like the men. They're uh, they've uh, been sweeping their opponents, playing some good basketball. So,
1: and this is the third really game for bad. the Lady Aggies to have this happen to them. The game two against San Jose State, where Kayla Ard, by the way, was extremely confident that they could go out there and beat the Spartans. Uh, game two was uh, postponed because of COVID issues. So now, Eric, they got three games they got to still put the make up at some point in this conference season. That's oh, that's too bad. All right, so, yeah, as you just heard from Eric, uh, no games for this weekend for the Lady Aggies, January 7th through 9th, uh, or excuse me, 7th and 9th, I should say, between the Lobos and Aggies for women's basketball will not be happening, at least not this week, scheduled for a later date. All right, take a break. Coming back here on the Full Court Press, we'll talk some more NFL football in the, uh, uh the, uh, what? Oh, yeah, the head coach openings, NGM openings as well.
0: Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390
1: AM. The Fan. Eric France and Salvesen, but The problem is, again, is that you, if you reach out to a team... Like, do they want to play you on short notice? And where are you going to play the game at and facility and refs and all that? It's a juggle to find it that quickly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Everybody's in conference player right now. And we were wondering, could, could Utah State go find somebody else as a replacement for this week? But you would need somebody in another conference who their opponent had... Had to shut things down, and so you'd have to find somebody else who's out there looking for games. And not to say that it's impossible, but I think it's going to be hard.
1: Yeah, again, Utah State women's hoops with their series against New Mexico this weekend, January 7th and 9th, has now been postponed because of uh, a positive case within the Lobo women's program. And so they will have to delay their series and reschedule it at a later time. This is the third game of the conference schedule that the U.S.C. women's hoops has had to deal with a postponement. The other, of course, was Game Two against San Jose State. After Game One, lost seventy-eight seventy-three to the Lady Spartans, they now have to make up three games in the remaining schedule. That's uh, that's just uh, that's tough to do. Yeah,
2: it's it's too bad, especially when you're a team with some momentum. You're riding a little bit of a wave. You've got some momentum. You're excited. Things are working. They're coming together. You like where your team's at. Let's go get the next one. And then you have to kind of ratchet things down and take it easy. And then you're going to spend a lot of time in the gym together. And you're going to get tired of seeing each other and running plays against each other. So, yeah, it's too bad. They haven't set the, the makeup time when it will be made up. But they're going to try to get it made up. But. It's going to be a challenge to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Eric, let's get to some NFL head coaching. (laughs) What are you smirking about over there? I'm going to show you that. (laughs) Read that. If you don't laugh, then you don't have no humor. Uh, Let's let's get to some head coaching openings and some GM openings, which is actually (laughs) – Yes, it's just the women's. Uh, just the games women's. It's not got the men's. Not the men's yet. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, let's get to some uh, head coaching and GM openings. Here is the Dilio Cheerio. There are seven current NFL GM openings: Broncos, Panthers, Lions, Texans, Falcons, Jaguars, and the Washington Football Team. Lions, Texans, and Falcons are also looking for a head coach. Add that along with the. Oh, where is it? Uh Chargers Jets, Jaguars and that is everybody who needs a head coach and three teams who need a GM along with <laughs> along with a head coach. And so Eric, the question has become what about college coaches going to the NFL? And the one name that's been brought up a lot is Jim Harbaugh. It's Jim, right? Not John Jim's at Michigan?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Is it, is it beneficial for his career to go from the NFL back to the college level? Because it's such a different game to coach. I was, I was uh, watching this thing of Bill Belichick and Nick Saban on HBO, and they were talking about the differences between coaching in college and the NFL. And only one of those two guys knows how it feels, Nick Saban who, after going to LSU, went to Miami and now is at Alabama and is just, I mean, loving life in a pool of money uh, and national championships. And so give me your thought on if it's beneficial or not to go from the NFL to college and the pros and cons.
2: Wait, so um, I believe it was Lou Holtz. Oh, I love Lou. Who, in his old man voice, said,
1: Love this guy.
2: Uh, and I can't do an impersonation of need Tony
1: Parks. Yeah.
2: Um, basically, the, the, the biggest difference is every year you get a bunch of first-round draft picks. Where if you're in an NFL team, you get one. If you're lucky, you get two. So uh, if you're at a top-level Power 5 program, every year you get over a dozen first-round draft picks. Um, and I think the other difference is too that before college coaches would, would would move on to the NFL. There was the allure to go to the professional league for uh prestige and money. It was a better paying job in the NFL. Today, there's a lot of college coaches earning more money than NFL head coaches.
1: See, which is nuts. Yes. But I mean but And I think there's wait, more stability did you in college a lot? than there is
2: in the NFL.
1: Did you say a lot of college coaches?
2: I think there's a good number of them. Really,
1: that I mean, are earning I, I, just
2: I, as much or more than because NFL I mean
1: coaches. I, I know dabble has got to be on that list. Nick Saban's got to be on that list. Uh, Clay Helton, I would imagine, you know, from USC's on that list. Who else would be Ohio State? Ryan Day, maybe. Right? I don't know if 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 Ohio State Ryan Day would make it. Um, who else am I missing? I, Brian Kelly's got to be making close to what an NFL coach is making. Has to be.
2: Okay, so here are college. This is as of 2020 coaches' salaries. This was updated in November, courtesy of USA Today. Nick Saban, um, he makes nine point three million dollars a year. Nine point three million dollars a year Ed Orgeron at Louisiana State. Eight point nine. Double Swin- Sweeney, eight point three. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is making eight. Okay. Jimbo Fisher seven point five. Can't, I mean Okay, okay, so right there. You got ten guys that are making six million dollars or more a year as a college head football coach.
1: And with in line and parallel in parallel to that, John Gruner for the Raiders is making ten million. He's a third high pays coach. That's underneath Pete Carroll, who's at eleven, and Bill Belichick is at twelve million Uh, Sean Payton's at 9.8. John Harbaugh's at 9 million. Matt Rule is at 8.86 for the Panthers. Sean McVay of the Rams at 8.5. Mike Tomlin's at 8 million. Dan Quinn's 8, as is Andy Reid. Pretty comparable. That's
2: incredible. Pretty comparable. You've got 14, excuse me, uh, 16 guys in the NFL, or in college football, 16 that are making five million dollars or more. So, yeah, there are four that are making eight or more. That are right on, to, right there with a lot of NFL coaches.
1: Do you think the Urban Meyer stuff is real, or do you think he actually? There is a report that he requested. Okay, if I am going to come coaching the NFL for Jacksonville, I want twelve million a year. Do you think it's real, or is he just playing with him? That he would actually be willing to go coach in the NFL. Cause he seems like and maybe it's because he spent his whole entire career with with college teams. Like, I mean, again, I mean, yeah, well, the thing Utah is, and Bully Green and Florida. Florida and, and Ohio
2: State. Yeah, but I think the NFL game has pivoted to embrace more of the the systems that colleges have used. And so, um I, I think that the NFL game has is shifted more closer to what we see on any given Saturday. Um, So it doesn't really surprise me that Urban Meyer's name is getting talked about. The thing is, so we talked about the advantages of staying in college and being a college coach because you get all those first round draft picks in your recruiting class. You get money that's very comparable. You get a big fan base that's loyal. Yes, there are pressures, uh, college coaches, just like there are in the NFL, The difference with going to the NFL is you don't have to worry about recruiting, spending most of your year on the road trying to convince kids to come to your school. You don't have to worry about compliance. Did they get their grades up? Yes, there are different types of compliance you have to worry about as a head coach with following other kinds of rules and drug tests and things like that. (laughs) But it's All you have to worry about is football. You don't have to worry about Curfews and grades, and did they go to uh, you know study group on time, and a lot of those other things. Attending fundraiser events. All you have to worry about is football. If you're a head football coach in the NFL, that's all you got to worry about. You don't have to worry about all the extra stuff that comes with college. So I think it just depends on where your personality is. Do you like that aspect? Do you only want to focus on football? Um Or or do you? Are there parts of of college that that experience stands out more?
1: Nine four six three text in. I think the biggest difference between coaching jobs in the NFL versus college is teaching the game to younger kids, players' life development in college versus analytics and the business of the NFL. The pressures are different for both, and some are good and at one and bad at the other. Great point because like I look at like Bill Belichick, who is also the GM for the New England Patriots, and As he's coaching these egomaniacs who are getting paid, you know, 100 and something million or 98 million or whatever it is, not only do some coaches have to analyze the financial side of these players, but then you got to analyze and and, and look at the business side for your team as well. That's true. When
2: you're on a college campus, the coach is king. Yes. When you're on an NFL thing, your quarterback or your running back or your star linebacker, they're the ones that could be calling a lot of the shots.
1: Who has the shorter leash, NFL or college? Ooh, um, boy,
2: I don't know. I, I think it's it's volatile in both places. <laughs> I think you probably see coaches in college have a little more tenure, and and programs have a little more patience with college coaches than the NFL. But I don't know. Pressures are. Or high, for both.
1: Pressure to win is, is important for both. Okay, we're going to play a game now. You have to choose between one of the two teams to coach, okay? Would you take Clemson or... hmm, Clemson or Denver? Denver Broncos or Clemson Tigers? Who would you rather coach?
2: Well, at this moment in time, I'd take Clemson,
1: okay? Uh,
2: let's... Because see. Dabo Swinney has built them into a powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, before Dabo, Clemson had had little moments of being okay. They'd go to an okay bowl game, but... And
1: right. you
2: know, they're a national power. Detroit. In years past, Denver Broncos were always a Super Bowl
1: contender. Detroit... Now they're a train wreck. Detroit or Utah State? <laughs> Detroit Lions or Utah State? That's right.
2: Um, Wow. <laughs> I'd probably go with Detroit
1: because i get paid a lot more. Alabama or Kansas City? And remember, you're making $1.8 million more at Alabama, but your team in Kansas City is pretty dang good.
2: Yeah. Wow. I mean, either place, you're going to win championships or be in the hunt for championships.
1: Yeah, but Alabama's more realistic opportunity to be able to get to the championship than it is in Kansas City. That's probably true. Probably take Alabama. Me too, yeah, absolutely. Me too in a heartbeat, honestly. And then you have to deal with like the, all the you know the million dollar maniacs again. That's, I, it just it mind boggled me when you said uh, he was making. Saban's making nine point eight million. Is that what he told me? Uh, nine point three. Nine point three, and Andy Reid is making eight million. Wow, jeez. All right, let's take a break. Coming back, we'll uh, wrap it up here for the first hour of the full court press. And the second hour, we're going to talk Utah Jazz basketball. They play a 530 versus the uh, Brooklyn Nets without Spencer Dinwiddie, without Kevin Durant. Uh, we'll get into that. Craig Smith spoke to the media about New Mexico. We'll get into that. Uh are Staten player, and Staten player, and so much more. It's all coming up on the full court press. On 1069
0: The Fan. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069TheFan.com.
1: The Full Court Press, Art France and AJ Salvacen are on 1069 The Fan. Hey, just a reminder about Region 11 high school basketball games going on tonight. For boys basketball, Skyview will be hosting Bonneville. So, again, the Jazz 530 game versus Brooklyn Nets will not be aired on this station as John Newbold will be uh, taking over the airwaves about 650 with pregame. Uh, again, Bobcats in Bonneville tonight at the Scabby Bobcats Gymnasium. Uh, also, Logan will be hosting Box Elder uh, inside of the Grizzly Gymnasium. And Ridgeline will be at Westlake. And Mountain Crest is hosting Grace tonight. So, uh, Mountain Crest giving a final 1077. Ridgeline is 104.5. Uh, Logan is on, a course, 610 AM KVNU. Uh, Bonneville and uh, the Bobcats will be on this very station, 106.9 FM. If you have any questions about where to find those games or how to listen to the stream itself, go to do cashvalleydaily.com to the uh, high school sports uh, column, and you'll be able to find everything there, including the schedules. So, uh, keep an eye out for that as high school basketball continues to get underway and we get closer and closer to reach and play.
2: I know there were some people wondering about the uh, Mountain Crest versus Grace game tonight. And uh, from what I've been told, the game is still on. know, There have been some travel restrictions with some Idaho schools and whatnot, but who knows? Maybe it's still. From what I was told earlier today, the game is still on, but
1: things can change. the way things end. are in
2: this crazy season, who knows?
1: That's that. Uh, so we're
2: keeping our fingers crossed because uh, I don't think AJ Knight has called. He's not called him. I've called Mountain more Mountain Crest games.
1: I've called more Mountain Crest games than AJ Knight. and I've called one. <laughs> I think we've had other people
2: call him for him because he was John Newbold out, called. and then they had games I was games so canceled. excited to go
1: to Preston and call that tournament, and then I tested positive. God, I was angry. I was livid. I wanted to go call that tournament so badly, and of course. Gotta take it away from me. Uh by the way, just in regards of tonight's Jazz Nets game, speaking of which, uh, starters for the Jazz will be Bogdanovich, O'Neill Gobert, and Mitchell Conley. Brantley and Morgan are out tonight. And so that means you might even see Trent Forrest dressed for the Aggies be on the roster. For and, the Aggies? Uh no, for the Jazz. Oh. Calm down. Nets, uh, Jeff Green, Tara, Tarim Prince, Jarrett Allen, Bruce Brown, Kyrie Irving. Uh will be playing tonight again. Claxton, Dinwiddie and Durant are out. Uh Durant's out with uh, exposure to COVID. Dinwiddie's out for the year with a tornado ACL and Claxon is out with a I believe knee, no, ankle injury. Uh Tony I,
2: Jones interesting thing he just posted uh, with me. with Bruce Brown um starting. It probably be it's uh because he's had some defensive success against Donovan Mitchell. Oh. So,
1: spicy. Hey, yeah. uh yeah. I was just going to ask you something, dang it. Durant's out with COVID exposure. Dinwiddie's out with 20 CL. I was going to ask you something, dang it. Jazz are favored in this one, I think, by four and a half. Really? Dude, hey, how big would it be if they get this win tonight as they get ready for the Knicks tomorrow? Because the Knicks is a winnable game. I know it's Uh, a back-to-back.
2: That Knicks team's better this year than they've been in a long time.
1: Well, that's not saying a whole lot. (laughs) Well. No, but if we're being respectful, cause okay, like Milwaukee's gonna kill them by fifteen plus, who? probably twenty plus.
2: Milwaukee's gonna kill who?
1: Jazz. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Ow, you are. <clears throat> no. Oh, no. What? Why? Milwaukee's gonna eat the Jazz alive. No. I'll set the line at twenty one and a half on that Milwaukee game. Wow.
2: Jazz cover easy. What? Yeah.
1: It's crazy. We're gonna get into more Jazz Nets talk here in the win. second hour. We'll get into Aggies. Uh, Craig Smith met with the press. We'll get into our Staten player. And much, much more here on the full-court press. Uh, Eric Franson there. <laughs> yeah, look. <laughs> I'm Ajay Salveson. Don't Hour number drugs, two of the full-court press. 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. <laughs>
0: Hello, welcome to the Full Court
1: Press. Eric France and AJ Salveson here on 106NFM 1390 AM, 106NTheFan.com, and streaming on the 106 Fan mobile app. Good to have you all joining us, however, wherever you're doing. So, here for our number dose. A uh, lot to get to. Again, Utah Jazz basketball, they get underway at 5 30. We will not be airing that game on our station tonight as the Skyview Bobcats will be uh, hosting the Bonneville Lakers from Idaho, or it, no, Bonneville Bees. I believe from Idaho. Uh, is it Bonneville Lakers or Bonneville Bees tonight? Is the Idaho team or Utah For team. Skyview? Yeah,
2: it just uh, says Bonneville.
1: That's all it says, man.
2: Then it would be uh, the Lakers. The Lakers. All right. Because it would say ID on our schedule. If oh, it's, I think.
1: Yeah. I don't know. There you They're go. playing somebody tonight. They're playing Bonneville tonight at the Bobcat Gymnasium. that will be at seven o'clock pregame with John Newbill. We'll it will be at six five zero, so ten minutes before game time. Uh, so, again, no Jazz game on our station tonight. Jazz-Brooklyn Nets at uh, 530. No Durant, no Dinwiddie, and no Claxton for the Nets. That's a big loss for them. Uh, so, uh, Jazz, as you said, Eric, say four and a half favorites.
2: i um, well, Let me double-check that because I think it may have changed with uh, some of the news today. But, no, yeah, still Jazz at four and a half in Brooklyn. Tips off at
1: five thirty. Five thirty. Hey, we were just talking about Milwaukee and Utah. Uh, six two nine. Four texted in. Uh, Jazz played the Bucks very close last year. And two one nine seven. Jazz should have swept Milwaukee last year in Game One. Uh, Utah Jazz beat Milwaukee one hundred three to one hundred. Bogdanovich was great at thirty three points. Gobert had seventeen boards. Mitchell had six assists. I mean, just phenomenal basketball all the way around. And then at Milwaukee, uh. I gotta find it here too. I think it was part of a long road trip, if I'm not mistaken. Nope, it was not part of a long road trip. Wow, I thought it was. I'll have to look it up. Anyways, they uh, they played Milwaukee close on the road. They lost one twenty two one eighteen. Bodyanovich had twenty four. Bradley uh, led with eleven and uh, eleven rebounds, and then uh, Conley had a game high nine assists. So, uh, yeah, Milwaukee and Yeah, Yeah, the Jazz, Jazz play them but tough. But here's the thing, dude, dude. They are playing seven games in ten days. Okay, they just got done with the San Antonio Spurs Sunday. They now play back-to-back. Where your starters Brooklyn got to Knicks. rest most of the second half. Okay, well, then you got Brooklyn back-to-back and Knicks. And you said the Knicks are a better team than what many expected. Yes. They might give them a grind. All right, and then you got to go to Milwaukee with Giannis. I know there's no Pat Connington. Uh, so Sam Merrill's gonna see more minutes. Uh, by the way, that game will also not be airing on our station because Skyview Basketball at seven o'clock. Thank you, John Newbold. Uh, so I, I just I feel like this kind of a stretch, seven games in ten days is gonna be a little bit taxing on the Jazz. And I mean, they lost, they lost to the Suns at home. I just they're gonna find yeah, a way to drop a Yeah, but they're undefeated on
2: the road. They're, they're playing better away from Salt Lake than they are in Salt Lake.
1: And oh, by the way, uh, according to Utah Jazz beat riders and, and media, uh, Quinn Snyder said in his press conference saying that the Utah Jazz will not have a practice until next Tuesday, January 12th. would be their next practice because they need a rest. I, wow. I I just I, I don't see how the Jazz get. I think they could. They should beat the Nets tonight. It, it
2: is tough. Should I mean, beat travel Knicks. is certainly a thing, and there is you know, some of these are back to backs. Um, some of the travel, it's a really short hop, and it's uh, you know the distance between Detroit and Cleveland's not that much. Uh, the distance between um, Brooklyn and uh, and Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you're in the same town, but there is some. Some travel that is involved. yes, so that that can take a toll on guys and that's a long road trip.
1: 9310 uh, is Sam Merrill out uh, or over his rolled ankle? Uh, I have talked to someone very close to the situation. Sam Merrill will be back uh, for I believe they play tomorrow if I'm not mistaken, Eric. Uh, but he will be back for sure by the Utah Jazz game. Um, should be good to go. Uh, when they play on Friday night, Milwaukee is. They play tomorrow against Detroit. He is back for tomorrow, uh, for Detroit, and then he will play on Friday against Utah. Or yeah, against Utah. Um, it's weird, like using Sam playing Utah. It just doesn't. I don't like the sound <laughs> of it. Uh, but Sam Merrill again, uh, will be good for tomorrow and against Utah. And it's big because Boone. Uh. Budenholzer, right? Is that yep. coach? Uh They don't have Pat Connaughton, and so he needs another shooter, and that's going to be Sam Samuel. Samuel's Sam minutes are going to go up. I don't know by how much, but they will go up, which is nice.
2: Yeah, that's good. Good for him. I, and I hope his ankle holds up and he Me can too. get out there and play well. Me too.
1: He's a tough, tough kid, too. He took a beating all of last year, and he only missed two games, and they were by coach's decision. And I think game one... If I remember right, the conversation, uh, <laughs> uh the the conversation between Sam and, and Coach was Coach was, hey, you're gonna sit out, and Sam kind of give him a look of why, and it's like, dude, it's Eastern Oregon, you aren't playing against Eastern Oregon, <laughs> and Sam was not thrilled about it. But no, that, but that's how Sam is, though. That's what that's what's so great about him. So, uh, yeah, uh, we wish uh, Sam all the best again. He'll get ready for the Detroit Pistons tomorrow, and then. Of course, Utah Jazz Friday night. Hey, Shaq. Okay, did you see the Shaq and Rudy Gobert beef? Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah. And Rudy Gobert? No. Did you hear about this? No. This is so annoying. So, Shaq out of nowhere, because he's so oversensitive about everything going on in it that doesn't involve him. Uh, Shaq puts on Instagram... Okay, first of all, it's a, Photoshop, it's a Photoshop tweet or a Photoshop photo on Instagram of Shaq dunking over Gobert. D- uh, dude, it is the most just, okay. I don't even know how to explain it, just insecure, paranoid uh, thing. And then he tweets out or he puts on Instagram, I would, ha- I would have had 45 points, 16 boards, 10 missed free throws in three quarters against Rudy Gobert. Rudy would have had 11 points, four boards, and fouled out in three quarters. I'm a G. And Rudy Gobert replied to him and said, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> Dude, it came out of the, like, the blue sky. Nobody even knows where it came from. So well, then,
2: okay, keep going.
1: Shaq, well, actually go with your point because then I'll get to the ending here.
2: Well, I was just going to say, Shaquille O'Neal is notorious for being critical of big men. Uh, it's, it was his position. He knows how it's played. Is he, he was critical.
1: I didn't know this. he was. He like, didn't.
2: He was very dominant in his position. Oh, yeah. Um. And, and he can be. He can be critical of, of big guys uh, from time to time. And begin. He can also stand up for them and say, "Hey, look, you got to give the big guy a little more respect." So, um, it is weird that it's coming out of left field like that. But oh, what boring. else can Rudy say? It's Just all right. <laughs> if I, that happened Good to me, all I'd say is,
1: uh, "Okay, I Good guess for we'll you, never know." Shaq.
2: Yeah, we're different eras. You.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he then sends out a twi- or, uh, another Instagram, and he uh, it's, I know it ain't me, so who is the best center of all time? The funny part is that he put beat center, not best center, moron. Uh, I would like to know. And he has the diagram of Will Chamberlain, Akeem Awajwan, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and himself.
2: This is Shaquille who did that?
1: Who's the best center of all time?
2: Ooh, um I'd probably I'd probably lean more to Kareem.
1: I'm I'm going Shaq. Dude, he would I mean, he'd bully your way through. Like he I mean, they were fouls. I mean, there was no doubt about it. 80% of what he did inside the paint was a foul offensively. Uh but he was dominant. I mean, they want to talk about Kobe Bryant. Well, there's no question Shaq was time. dominant. So was Kareem. But I in mean, a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what's crazy is, like, I mean, Bill Russell was great. Will Chamberlain is a legendary. But if I had to rank these five, I would go Shaq, Kareem, Bill, Will, and then Akeem Olajuwon last. And I think there's a gap between Akeem and Will.
2: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: It's Crazy. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I think Shaq. Well, look, Rudy
2: on- go- I don't know why Rudy Gobert is – Uh, making Shaquille feel insecure, but Rudy Gobert, I've really been impressed with how he has upped his game this year. He's more aggressive. Uh, he's, um, yeah, he needs to be better with his free throws, but he's improved his offensive game. He's gathering up more rebounds than he used to, and he's affecting more shots. So uh, I think he is, he's improving his game. Uh, you know, uh, Joel Embiid was throwing a little smack and, and some shade Rudy Gobert's way earlier in the season. And I, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I don't mind that. Rudy Gobert puts that big chip on his shoulder and goes out and goes to work and tries to prove people that he deserves the attention and he deserves the contract that he just got.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really quickly, before we go into more jazz basketball, uh, Utah State men's basketball... Their game time has been set for January 21st. They have back-to-back tough weeks. Aztecs and then the Colorado State Rams, who split with the Aztecs over in San Diego State. Uh, January 21st game has been set for either 8 or 9 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, Unofficial as of what, that game will be on FS1. Of course, that's at the Spectrum. Uh, So either 8, please be 8 o'clock. I mean, for the love. Don't do 9 o'clock. It's a bad... I thought that's what we got into FS1 for, is to avoid these 9 o'clock starts. What are we doing? <laughs> like, my hell. Try at least. Um. Anyways, I, I I look forward to tonight's matchup for a number of reasons. One, I there's nobody that can match up with with Rudy Gobert on the other on the other side with the Nets, right? Like Rudy Gobert should uh, be dominant tonight.
2: He should, but Jarrett Allen is not a bad center. I mean, he's got the big fro. Some people, you know. They don't take him as seriously as they need to, but he's a good active center. Um I, I like I like Jared
1: Allen. And then on the guard play, Kyrie Irving's gonna be a mess. I he's a tough, tough guy to guard. Uh Mike Conley's a little bit older. I I think Kyrie Irving will have his way, but he can't alone outscore the Utah Jazz.
2: Oh, I forgot they have DeAndre Jordan still too. Yeah. So DeAndre Rudy's going to have not, his hands full. Yeah, but
1: DeAndre, I mean, DeAndre in 2012 or even 2011 is not DeAndre in 2012.
2: No, he's not. I mean, he's 32 years old, but he's still active. He can still be physical in the post. He's Not does a pushover. Does he make a
1: difference with Rudy Gobert? You think, though?
2: What What do you mean?
1: I, like, does he I, does he cause enough problems for Rudy Gobert to worry you? He can. I uh, just he get him in foul trouble. The other and and the other thing I actually like about this team, well, with the Jazz in this in this game tonight is the bench play. Now the Brooklyn Nets bench has been really really good, um, far better than what I think many thought. But I still don't see them against. As long as Ingles plays well, as long as Clarkson is shooting it well, I I just don't see how the Nets can have enough firepower, scoring firepower, even especially without Dinwiddie especially without Durant, enough firepower to keep up with this Utah Jazz team. Favors is a go tonight, by the way, even though he had right knee soreness after playing, like, less than double-digit minutes on Sunday, which is amazing. So,
2: Yeah, I've really, really enjoyed uh, uh, Derek Favors, and watching him in a Jazz uniform again has been awesome. And uh, just how he comes in, and sometimes there's some games where Rudy gets in a little bit of foul trouble, and Quinn Snyder's like, it's okay, let's get Derek out there.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't hesitate either.
2: So I think that helps. That's part of what has helped Rudy be as aggressive as he is because he knows he can, he's can. he got another guy that can come out and still help the team. So if he gets in foul trouble, not like he intentionally wants to, but if he does end up getting in foul trouble, it's not going to be a huge detriment to the team like it was a year ago. When Ed Davis didn't come in and do anything, Tony Bradley didn't come in and do much. And so there was this real pressure – to get Rudy back into the game, and when he was in the game, he had to be—he had to hold back a little bit because he couldn't foul.
1: Oh yeah, that was the other part—is—is is the foul trouble also that was in there—is uh, was a big issue. By the way, the Knicks, who the Jazz play tomorrow, I believe they played tonight too. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look that up. Um, and and that's the other thing is—and I don't—I guess we'll be able to get into a little bit tomorrow with the Knicks. But
2: Knicks do not play tonight. They do
1: not. So they have the day. Oh man, they had the night off. and They get to play the Jazz tomorrow. That's tough. Um, keys to tonight for the Jazz, Eric, oh, uh, for a Jazz win.
2: Well, I think what really worked well for them against San Antonio was just that that ball movement and just seeing the ball go through the hoop for a couple of guys. For Boyan, uh, especially, um, finally being able to hit. Uh, Royce, he was able to hit from beyond the arc. So uh, that was some, some good things to, to help them get ready for this uh, East Coast road trip. Um, so I think that, that if they can continue that ball movement – And the defense has been there for Utah. I think it's been improving. It's just the offense hasn't been hitting on all cylinders in some of the games that they've lost. So I think if they can um, keep that going, like what we saw against San Antonio, I think it'll be a tougher challenge against Brooklyn than against San Antonio was. But without Dinwiddie and without Durant, um, I think the Jazz will be able to do that. They'll have their hands full with Kyrie Irving, and uh, they got a couple other nice pieces But uh, ultimately, I think the Jazz depth and all the weapons that they have will overpower Brooklyn, and they'll be able to come out on top.
1: Interesting. Hey, 5338 text in. He says, the best center and the best basketball player of all time is Wilt Chamberlain, and it's not even close. Mm. Wow. Okay. By the way, Wilt Chamberlain shot 45%. No. Why do you? No way, that's not true. Oh, yeah, he shot 54% from the field. Shaq shot 58% from the field. Uh, In regards of average points per game, good heck, this makes it really confusing. 23.5 for uh, Shaq, 30 for Will, who, by the way, also averaged 22 boards a game, four assists per game, and I got to look at blocks. He's got to have blocks on there. They don't. Thank you, Sports Reference, for not doing your job. Um, Shaq averaged 23 points. Rebound-wise, 7.5. Wow, you only have 7.5 in his career? Huh. Wow, I didn't know that. No, sorry, 10. 10, I I was going to say. It had to be higher than that. 10 boards, just under 11 boards per game. That's impressive. Will Chamberlain was really, really good, actually. Yes, he was. Uh, but again, I think we look at the different eras, right? And and but and who played better competition? Shaq or Wilt?
2: Well, I think that's that's always a hard thing to compare players across different um spectrums of time. The the games are so different and they've evolved. Like Wilt was a man among boys. And I think that's what's so different there. There just weren't guys like him in the league. Yeah,
1: but you well, want contend was, though, with what he Bill did. Bill Russell, Kareem, right? Um and but who did Shaq play against? Shaq had nobody to contend with him at his position. Oh, stop. I, no, who.
2: You're totally overlooking like his nemesis that who? owned him. Greg Ostertag. I knew
1: you were going to say something <laughs> stupid like that. Oh my gosh, I want to lose it on you. Not even Tim Duncan was in that range at that time. Well,
2: they classified Tim as a power, as a power forward. forward. But...
1: So, I mean, there was nobody. David Robinson maybe. He went a Akeem Olajuwon and him
2: were they were contemporaries. Yeah, that's Akeem true. was a little bit older, but, but they played in the league at the same Akeem. time.
1: Shaq dominated Akeem. Shaq dominated Not in Shaquille's early years. Well, I would say it was more guard play because in the finals when the Rockets and Magic met, it almost seemed like the guard play was the bigger key. Sam Cassell, Kenny the Jet Smith, Robert Ory um, were just incredible. Um, and then the only other side, yeah, like, I mean, you have Penny Hardway, but Nick Anderson really wasn't himself in that series. Scott Skiles. Scott Skiles. Yeah. And didn't he get traded before that? If I remember right. And I can't oh, remember who they he? brought yeah. in. Maybe. Yeah. I can't remember who that 30 for 30 magic thing is really, really good by the way. Uh, so yeah, I think it kind of depends on competition, but will is definitely on, on that list as the best of all time. Easily on that list as is Bill Russell as Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, so on and so forth, uh, got a text, Sam Cassell was the best player to play the game. Sam Cassell <laughs> was the best bench player to ever play the game. Sam Tyler. Cassell. Tyler's a big Houston Kinda fan. I look like a
2: salamander out but there. But, dude,
1: Sam Cassell was the best bench Trash player. Trash talker. Dude, he was a great
2: cheerleader. He was, uh, he was a great cheerleader. He was a, an emotional player. I will give him that.
1: Uh, 5 through 3 Don't forget, Wilt scored 100 points in one game with no three-point shot.
2: I have Who not was guarding I him, have have not forgotten that. Guy, but yeah, I want to know that. He was a man among boys.
1: I want to know who's guarding him that night. And, like, how come the coach didn't make any adjustments? That's a good question to ask. How come the coach didn't make any adjustments? So,
2: which, which was a bigger milestone? Okay. Wilt's 100 or Kobe Bryant's 80?
1: Which Kobe Bryant's was a 80. bigger achievement? Kobe Bryant's 80. Dude, Kobe was being doubled and triple teamed, and he kept shooting it and kept making it. Like the guy was, and go back and look at that game. I mean, dude, on one possession, Eric, he's getting, he gets, he's being guarded. Like, I mean, the guy's right in his grill, and then he dribbles with the left hand, and then they send a double at him. He's still dribbling with the left hand, and he's like going. He's it's the cardinal rule, right? The cardinal sin or whatever. Do not dribble into the corner of the court. Well, he does just that. Locks himself to a corner. He's trapped there. Like it's almost like he did it on purpose. Pulls up for a three and hits it. On another possession, he dribbles through. He splits a double team. Gets to the free throw so line. So, do we
2: just not have the luxury of of getting excited about Wilt because we don't have the video? No, we don't have the highlights
1: because I don't think anybody was like. I want to know who was guarding Wilt that night. Were they seven foot five or were they or or were they six foot five? Or were they seven foot five or six foot five?
2: Yeah, your, your power forward was probably six foot six.
1: Yeah. Like in that era back then, there is no way. Uh, John Russell, how about Oscar Robinson averaging a triple, double over, a triple double over an entire season? And that was before they gave away assists just for sneezing at the player that made the pass <laughs> kit. Here's the thing about Oscar O. Um, he would be outside of my top 10. He is not in my top 10. Actually, I don't even think he's close. Mike. Oscar even. Robertson's not in your top no, ten. No, way. What? No, absolutely not. Look, I was the guy. I mean, was he a good basketball player? Sure. Russell Westbrook averages a triple double, and we all didn't even care. We all sniffed at it. Uh, five three three eight. Kobe was being double and triple teamed. Ha! Huh. Time to put your dance camp on. RJ defenders were backing off of him and letting him shoot. No, no, what? they in weren't. The world.
2: No one wanted to be known as the guy that was gonna. <laughs> The only time where defenders backed away was on his last game.
1: Oh, and even yeah. then the Jazz weren't an letting easy, Didn't but. I tell you in that media conference uh the Locker cleanout day, um David Lock and I because I was there, and David Lock asked Joe Ingles, you know, the 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 thought of, you know, being on the court while Kobe scored sixty in his final game of his career, and Joe looked at him and he was almost annoyed and he said David, it was an exhibition game, so how about you calm down? And he was dead serious. He was so annoyed that people were making such a big deal out of Kobe scoring 60. And then I think Quinn Snyder came in later on. He was a final interview, and he said, if you go watch the game, there wasn't really a lot of effort being put on our side on the defensive side of the ball. Like, discrediting Kobe for scoring, which they should have. He took, like, 70 shots. Yeah, was- uh, they gave him if I every freed- opportunity. Three eight. No, don't contradict me. He says, "Go back and watch the game. Defenders were letting him shoot every time he touched the ball." Are we talking about the right game? Raptors and Lakers in like two thousand. Was it six or seven? I can't remember when he's. I think it was two thousand six when he scored eighty one. I don't. It was know. in. I mean, two thousand eight. Yeah. Was it? Was it zero eight when he scored eighty one? I don't think. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll go back and watch the Toronto game.
2: Raptors, it was January twenty second, 2006. Six.
1: Yeah. I'll have to go back Lakers and look at
2: it. Lakers were down in that game and oh, came back yeah. to win.
1: Yeah, they were getting clobbered in that game. And Kobe just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to shoot every time I touch the line. And he did. <laughs> um, it wasn't like, it wasn't the prettiest game by any means. Like a guy shooting that much shouldn't, yeah. It was just Kobe shooting a lot and making a lot. That's kind of what it came down to. Eighty-one points. That was impressive. Eighteen of twenty from the foul line. Oh my gosh!
2: <laughs> Eighteen points just for going to the okay. Well, then free you're right. Trip. Five, three,
1: three, eight. There wasn't a lot of guarding then in that because they couldn't. Um, <laughs> Eighteen points from the foul line alone. That's twenty
2: a- trips. Yeah, so that's ten trips to the free throw line. It means you got fouled every time. Do you have his line?
1: cuz that's uh, crazy like if you went 18 of 20 at the line it. and and by the way not every shot was him I mean from the perimeter he would drive to the hole
2: let's see he was 28 of 46 shooting oh my god 7 of 13 from 3 18 of 20 from the foul line so
1: Huh. I, again, five three three. I'm not like saying that Wilt's. I mean, hundred points wasn't historic. It, I mean, absolutely is. But we, I, as Eric mentioned, we just don't have the courtesy of having video with us to see what it was. How I mean, how in the world did someone score a hundred points? Like, who's guarding him, and why aren't you doubling the guy? Maybe they didn't double back in the day. Maybe that was illegal. I don't know.
2: Uh, Lakers were down 18 points in the third quarter. The
1: third quarter, right? Yeah. yeah, they came back to win that game.
2: So, huh. you have that kind of a lead, and that guy's doing that, and you just kind of lay out and let him steal <laughs> it away from you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, got to take a break. Coming back, we're going to get to some Utah State Aggie basketball. Remember, the Lady Aggie game has been a series versus New Mexico has been canceled due to a COVID-positive test on the New Mexico side. So, the Lady Aggies have three conference games. they got to make up Game 2 versus San Jose State and these two games as well. It's a tough spot to be in right now for the Lady Aggies. So, they're off for a bit until next week when they head to San Diego State to face the Lady Aztecs. Uh, but the men, will are as of right now, are set to play in Lubbock, Texas at Lubbock Christian University uh, where they'll uh, get set to play tomorrow at 8 o'clock and then Friday's game has been changed from 9 p.m. to 7 p.m. Mountain Time uh, and that game will be on FS1. Tomorrow's game is on CBS Sports Network. Uh, So we'll get into some Utah City men's basketball talk with Craig Smith all coming up here on the Full Court Press. It's Eric France and Audrey Southson here on the Full Court Press. Thanks for joining us, however, wherever you are doing so. Hope you're having a wonderful, beautiful Tuesday, by the way. Great weather outside. But I heard there's a nasty storm coming in. What, Thursday? Friday? If I'm not mistaken, I heard there's some kind of a storm coming in. If it's not warm right now in January, there's got to be something coming our way.
2: It's the warm before the storm.
1: Oh, before the storm. I just feel like that's so dirty. What? I don't even want <laughs> it. I, I even it's
2: like a farmer's almanac don't even or something. Get, don't even get Uh, 30% in chance of snow on Friday.
1: Oh, that's our worst? Oh, that's all I see. Okay, we're okay. Not that bad. Hey, uh, Utah State men's basketball is going to be traveling, so they're looking out for weather issues. Uh, from what I've been told, they made it to Lubbock, Texas, safely. Uh, and where they'll be playing against the New Mexico Lobos because New Mexico cannot play at home. So, New Mexico started off the season 3-0 and against three really, really bad non-Division 1 teams. And then came conference play, and they got a rude awakening. Two losses to Boise State, and then two losses to New Mexico uh, to Nevada. Uh, finds himself in a 0-4 hole already in Mountain West Conference. By the way, isn't that incredible that like already like you play two teams and it's four games and you're already in this massive like behind the eight ball hole if you're New Mexico, just like that. Meanwhile, Utah State's in the driver's seat. Looks pretty. I know it's over San Jose State and Air Force, but you can, if you can go get two wins, let's start here, Eric. If you get two wins against New Mexico, you're six and 0 going into next week's showdown with the San Diego State Aztecs at the Spectrum Thursday and Saturday.
2: Yeah, uh, this is... Uh, it, these games against New Mexico have been dicey. Look, th- these have been games that have gone down to the wire a couple different times. Um, New Mexico has struggled a little bit. They're they're playing away from home. But if, uh, uh, if the Aggies can play with the same level of defensive intensity that they've had these last two weeks... Man, I really like their chances uh, of setting themselves up for a great matchup against San Diego State.
1: Coach, uh... I'll call him Coach Anderson. Coach Blah? Yeah, Coach Blah. <laughs> he's going to love hearing that one. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully he's not listening to our show today. Uh, Coach Smith... Well, I'll call him Coach Anderson. Coach Smith spoke with the media today as they got ready for the New Mexico Lobos. Here is Coach Smith's opening statement talking about New Mexico and uh, what uh, they expect to see.
3: Appreciate you guys' time, first of all. Um... New Mexico is a um, physical, rugged team, very, very athletic. Uh, They play a ton of guys. Um, You know, they're a team that got off to a little bit of a late start with practice and uneven practices and been traveling all over. And now I know their temporary home is in Lubbock, Texas. uh, At Lubbock, I think it's Lubbock Christian is where we're going to be playing. Um, But it's, again, they don't have a lot of games in <clears throat> seven games, but you can. It's it's a team that's playing better every night they go out, you know. And I think their uh, their series at Boise, they were playing fifteen guys each game, and now they've shortened that a little bit, but they still play a lot of guys. Um, um but they're trying to find their team like everybody is right now. Um, they're very, like I said, they're very physical. They throw it in the post a lot. Seventy-four percent of their shots are are from the two. Um, and then defensively, it's what we've seen again uh, uh, with New Mexico the last two years, where they're going to press. They're going to press uh, on every made shot, every dead ball, every made free throw uh, in the half court. They're pressure and deny, and they they uh, make it very very difficult on their opponents. Uh, and so, and then they're number two in the country in offensive rebounding. Uh, I mean, they they are so athletic. They'll send four guys to the glass. Uh, and I've seen them send five even at times. And so rebounding will be a big key. Rebounding, handling the ball, making good decisions, not turning it over. Um, uh, and post-defense, certainly, because they, they throw it inside on a, on a very regular basis. So got to really stay disciplined. We're going to have to have great poise and composure um, for 40 minutes because they, they, um, they're relentless with their effort.
1: So the other thing with that is that Utah or to me New Mexico has not been near as good as what they used to be, at least not this year. Again, that's I mean there's limited practices. They had to throw a schedule together just to try to get out and play some teams, uh, because their schedule was crushed by COVID and they're not allowed to to host teams inside of the pit. Uh, and so there's this thought of how do you get up for a team that's not as good as the past maybe last years. New Mexico Lobos team and Coach Smith didn't even bite or chew on what this question or what this uh, on what this question was asked from the reporter. Uh, he believes that New Mexico is a good basketball team and that they need to prepare for that.
3: Yeah, well, when I see him on film, <laughs> I have nightmares. But um, I don't worry about. I mean, that's a great question. I know um, I am a numbers guy from some respects, but not. Um, you know, I'm not overly driven by that, like you know, a lot of people are, but our we know what our goals are, and we know how hard it is to win. I don't care who you're playing, when you're playing, uh, where you're playing. Certainly, as a as a general rule of thumb, it's harder to win on the road. And for us, we're going to be on gone eight out of ten days now. So yeah, I think about that factor. You know, I was a few minutes late today because I'm co- we're coaching eight freshmen, <laughs> and so like it's uh. I got a lot to worry about, to be honest, but I'm confident at the same time. And so we got to play Aggie basketball. And and that means you work hard to eliminate losing, you know, be very sound on both ends of the floor. Um, we've done a very good job of not turning it over here on this winning street with the exception of the last game. But, you know, we have turned it over against New Mexico. Our history shows over the last two years. So we got to be better with that. Um, but we've always said mindset, mind right, game right. When your mind is right, your game will be right and your team will play well. And so it all has a direct correlation with with each other. But I feel like we got a determined group of guys. We've had two good practices again um, yesterday and today. It is a very different prep from Air Force. I mean, it couldn't be more opposite in terms of, in terms of everything, their style of play on offense, their style of play on defense, their athleticism. It's going to be one of the most athletic teams we face um, all year. So when you watch them on film, uh, they certainly get your attention with some of the things that they do.
1: Again, look, New Mexico may not be last year's New Mexico team with Vance Jackson, the Higgins guy. I mean, they were a problem last year. But you can't go into a, uh, especially if it's on the road, can't go into a conference two-game series and just overlook somebody and say, ah, they're not as good as last year. We're going to be just fine. Numbers on paper say this. So that means we're going to win by 18. That's not how this goes anymore. No. Just ask uh, Boise State after they played San Jose State.
2: Uh, I always have a hard time pronouncing his name. Makuak. Maluak.
1: Uh, yeah, Maluak.
2: Maluak. Maluak. Uh, that, that dude's a player. They, they still oh, have good. guys that, that are good players. Yeah, there's been some turnover there from some of the guys that have been really hard for Aggies to handle in the past. But but you're right. You can't overlook anybody in this league. Look what San Jose did against Boise. Look what Air Force did at Nevada. I mean, look what Colorado Colorado State State did did to San Diego. So anything can happen. So uh, if Utah State comes with that defensive intensity that they've had their last couple of weeks, they'll give themselves a really good shot to come away from Texas with wins over New Mexico.
1: So the next bite that I had played, um, bless this reporter's heart. He tries extremely hard to do his job. Uh, But there is a such thing as trying way too hard. And this reporter tried way too hard in asking this question. In fact, when I actually uh, took the bit and cut it, I put Smith on who the fetch knows reporter asked a stupid question. Uh, Here's the question and here's the answer.
0: Anything else for Coach? Yeah, I got. I got a question, um, Coach. Uh, in conference, you guys um, allow the least amount of points defensively. Um, it seems like on that side of the ball, you guys have improved the last few games, and I'm wondering what you think has allowed this team, this iteration of the Aggies, to become the defensive team that has become now that it has become, and that it hopefully, like, well, yeah. hopefully, you guys will become later.
3: Well, we're communicating a lot better. Um, we have, you know, those first two games were a little rough, um, um, for a lot of different reasons. I think we've kind of settled in a little bit more on a rotation. We've really simplified some things we've had, to uh, um, downsize, so to speak, some of our schemes that we do and just really, um, um, trying to be brilliant in the basics, so to speak. And really lock in and give our guys specifically. Um, And really, since that point, we're really starting to pick some things up on the defensive end. But I think it all starts with communication and having each other's back. Sometimes, you know, when you're not sure what to do or you lack experience or for new guys don't know, you're still learning like our vocabulary or our terminology, I should say, it takes time. And if you're not confident in knowing exactly what's going on, it's hard to communicate, right? If you're confident in a subject, any subject, it's a lot easier to be to communicate because you feel confident in what you're doing. If you're unsure of yourself, you're not exactly going to raise your hand to volunteer information in the classroom, at work, or whatever it might be. And so... Um, so I think our communication has gotten a lot better, and just really trying to understand what we're trying to do on the defensive end, and uh, it's been showing up recently.
1: Um, I know I get a lot of crap about situational punting, but well, at least at a point. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay, wow. so okay, so just, I, I I think no. what we're trying to get through there is what defense, right? Um, Our defense has been really good. The Aggie defense has been really, really good. Um, And, you know, it's got there because of communication, everybody playing sound, everybody being aware, uh, everybody communicating. a transition defense has been really good. And, of course, it doesn't hurt when you have a guy like Namiah Shkata standing behind everybody's back waiting for somebody to try to come into their house.
2: Yeah. This... I won't... I'm going to try to avoid saying the word "become" because we heard way too much of it. But it is apparent that this Utah State team has dialed things up. Um, they're they're much like they're taking pride in getting after it defensively.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, forcing turnovers and, and creating, uh, causing their opponents to have unforced errors because they're thinking about where Utah State might be and how, what they're trying to do. Now. Is uh, is New Mexico going to be a similar team with you know, that level of, of, of mistakes? Um, I don't know. I mean, they seem like they're an okay team with handling the ball. But this Utah State defensive um, presence that we've seen these last few weeks, I love seeing it. Because then it leads to fast breaks. It leads to transition points. It uh, gets guys flowing. They get uh, you know, a lot of juice going their way. You start to see guys hit three-point shots that have been struggling. It just really helps in a lot of different areas.
1: Speaking of a lot of different areas and and different guys doing different things, this bench has been, been good. They haven't seen – it's been interesting. You pointed out something uh, after the Air Force series, Eric, that the bench play, or at least the starters, played a lot of minutes even though they were up by 20 points. So I asked Coach – what is your confidence like in your bench right now? And uh, have you tied up your rotation? And is that why maybe are getting more minutes? And, and what's the reason there? And this is coach Smith here on that.
3: Yeah. It just kind of depends on the game. I mean, I, I think that's an area we just got to keep developing and keep getting better. And that happens with experience and, and earning trust, you know, through practice, certainly our starting five have been, I mean, clearly our best lineup. I think that's easy to see. But I do see a lot of stride. I feel like we're getting some consistency out of uh, some of our guys. And, you know, Trevin Dorius I feel like we're starting to figure out knowing exactly what we're going to get on a game-to-game basis. Uh, Steven Ashworth has been very consistent here recently. I thought Bearstow has played well for sure in three of the last four games. Um, and then we just got to keep developing some guys. And that's – I think what's exciting is I think we will. I think these guys will keep getting better. Uh, I got to help them with certain lineups, you know, that maybe will flourish better instead of throwing, you know, three true freshmen out there at the same time or or some guys that um, maybe don't quite have that chemistry yet, you know. Um, so we're constantly working on that. That's an area that we got to facilitate. Do we believe in them? Of course we do. Um, but at the same time, we got to put the guys out there that give us the best chance um, to succeed. And you know, every year you go through this and some guys, you know, two years ago, Abel Porter was hardly playing at this time. And Justin Bean was rarely playing. And you just see guys kind of start to figure things out at different speeds and at different times of the year. And it is different. Um, you know, it's January, whatever it is today. Um, I don't know, fifth, sixth, whatever it is. And, but we're still only 10 games in, you know, a lot of times we have five games in, in the first, nine days of the season. So, um, so even though we're in this point, 20% of our league is done, we've only played 10 games. So we're still working through a lot of different things. And I think that's a, I would say a very common, um, characteristic of most teams in the country right now,
1: uh, especially when you have a lot of new guys in your program. Utah State does have a lot of new guys in the program. You think about some of the guys who've got some playing time already. Steven Ashworth has came and and done very well. Raleigh Wooster obviously is a big part of it. Um, But I'm trying to think, is there any other new guys that have seen significant minutes, Eric? Ashworth Ashworth off the bench. Wooster. Is there anybody I'm missing?
2: Well, just Marco Anthony's new, but he's not young.
1: Yeah, it's true. But he He's is new. new, though. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. He is new. In fact, um, thanks, and this is per Kyle Kautam for this wonderful stat, that his 36 minutes in game one against Air Force had already put him at 232 minutes. Total in nine games already this season. That surpasses his entire play at Virginia of minutes. Like, and, and the great thing about Marco is that he found his game right here. He found yeah. a way to fit in with his game and be a heavy contributor for this basketball team. Well, and, so and he had the Marco. advantage
2: of being a, a redshirt a year ago That's and true. being a part That's of a it, great team, it. some great players, understanding what it takes to win at this level and and understanding his role. And so it's kind of a natural progression for him. He's he's a new face for a lot of us, but certainly not for that coaching staff or his teammates. Now, the thing with New Mexico, this is a team that um, they rank fifth among all Division I teams in offensive rebound percentage. So they average about 16.5 offensive boards per game. Um, But that has slipped down to about 12.5 during their current four-game losing streak. So if Utah State can keep them off the boards, that certainly bodes well for the Aggies. That but that, that's, that's a New a Mexico team that can crash the boards and and uh, give themselves second chance opportunities and take away possessions for, for their opponents as well. So that's I think that's gonna be one of the real big keys coming into this game uh tomorrow night for Utah State is who who wins the rebounding battle.
1: Nine three one five text in he says First of all, they should never underestimate anyone like New Mexico. They could surprise you if you do. That is absolutely true. Any team in the Mount West Conference will come up and bite you in the butt if you are overlooking them for whatever reason. Um, and, and New Mexico is definitely, and Paul Weir is definitely one of those teams. Absolutely great. Uh, and then he texted in, I think, the team, I think the team for USU basketball in the past that won a lot of games passed the ball well just like we are doing now. Ball movement has been so key. And you see Brock Miller getting open looks. Namish Ketta's passing oh, from yes. his freshman year to now is is like standing in a dark room with no lights and no windows <laughs> and now sitting in the studio where we have every single light on. It has been that big of a trans- transition and difference so much better. Yeah, that's a great point. And There's
2: not like one guy who's getting like, eight or nine assists per game. You have a lot of guys that have four or five assists per game. And one of those guys who's usually right there uh, at the top of leading the team at assists per game is Nimi. Uh, it's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point, Ajay. Nimi is definitely in the middle of that. He recognizes if if he doesn't have an open look, if the, if the defense is collapsing on him, he's tall enough, lengthy enough, he can see above and survey the field and get the ball to where it's needed, the open look, and somebody puts it in.
1: Final bit we're going to get to tonight, and I want to. Uh, this was actually a great question from Al. Uh, Abel Porter, former guard here at Utah State, suffers from a heart condition that has ended his career. He was at Ohio State, and it looked like he was getting to see some backup minutes. No, nope, not a lot, but some. Uh, and then a heart condition ended his career in basketball. He's okay. He says he's well. Um, but uh, well, now I have to be a little bit more careful with with how uh, his he lives his life, and uh, I, I say that just by you know based on physical activity and such. Anyways, uh, Al asked Coach Smith on Abel Porter uh, and his career uh, being done, and what Abel meant to Utah State. Really great answer. Listen to this.
3: Well, uh, my heart goes out to him. I mean, certainly an unfortunate deal with um, he has. I forget the, the exact name of what he has with his heart, but it was the same thing. I believe that uh, how Hank Gathers, the late great Hank Gathers passed away. Um, And so we're very fortunate that they were able to catch it, um, you know, this summer when they were doing conditioning drills and um, had a really good talk this summer, you know, shortly thereafter when it happened. And so it was a great young man, um, you know, really, really had – I mean, a great career for the Aggies, specifically his last two years. And, you know, he's just one of those guys that you knew every night what you were going to get out of Abel. He was just dependable, reliable, and, um, and steady Eddie. And so, you know, he's going to have a very bright future. And no, no matter what he decides to do, whether he decides to coach or go into the private sector, I mean, he'll probably get, you know, seven PhDs. Who knows? But um, what a pleasure to coach certainly my heart goes out to him because, um, you never want to, um, it's always nice to have control of your future, so to speak. And this is out of his control. And I guess that maybe is the, um, the way you got to approach it, right? There's nothing else he could have done. And I think that's the beauty of it. He gave everything he could in his time that he could and made the
1: most out of every ounce of talent that he has. Let's go ahead and take a break here on the full court press. Come back in our final segment. we We'll get to our stat that blew our mind. You said you had a pretty intriguing one. I've, and We'll get to our player of the week as well. By the way, update right now. Uh, Jazz not off to a great start. They're down 9-2 to the Nets.
2: No, they're down 20-4 to with six to go. What? Kind of a slow start for the Jazz. Down 20-4 to right now.
1: That's wonderful. And by the way, uh, you mentioned this already. Before the game even started, Jarrett Allen can give Rudy issues. He's doing just that. Uh, he already has a block on Rudy uh, and has given Rudy all sorts of problems so far early in this go. Told you they're going to lose to Milwaukee by 20-plus points.
0: Eric Franson, I'll here on the Full Court Press. Wrapping it up next. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan.
1: Eric AJ and Salveson of the full-court press. No Durant, no Dinwiddie, no problem for the Brooklyn Nets, who lead 20-4. In fact, it's so bad that Quinn Snyder has just called his second timeout of the first quarter. Boy, what a problem for the Utah Jazz, and what a horrible start for the Jazz as well against a very shorthanded Brooklyn Nets team. Eric, this isn't good.
2: No, they're giving up a lot. They're just flat on uh, rotations, and there's just – Jazz got to wake up. they got to get moving. Somebody's got to
1: spark them. Kyrie has 12 points already in the quarter. The other Nets have eight. The Jazz, again, have four. Unreal. <laughs> wow. Uh,
2: That's a stat that'll blow your
1: mind. Yeah, no kidding. Speaking of which, let's get into the stat that blew our mind. Eric, uh, what do you got, my man?
2: Uh, all right, so my stat is uh, the NFL season has come to a close. And the, you have all the final numbers now from all the regular games are done. They're all tallied. Deshaun Watson finishes the, uh, the season with an NFL high 4823 yards. That's great. But his team went 4 and 12. That's the first player to lead the NFL in passing yards with 12 or more losses since Jeff George did it for the 1997 Raiders.
1: Oh man.
2: That's great. You lead the league in passing yards, but your team is
1: terrible. <laughs> Hey, just saw this one from ESPN Stats and Info. Uh, last night was the 39th time that Luka Doncic led the Mavericks in points, rebounds, and assists, including ties. That is now the most in team history, passing Dirk Nowitzki, you did that 38 times, but yet it took Luka Doncic less than 10% of the time it took Dirk to get past that or to that total and more. Wow.
2: Dude's a player. Dude, Doncic
1: is going to be incredible. He's, a, he's got a very special career coming up if he can stay healthy.
2: Uh, My player of the week, uh, this is somebody the Jazz are going to face tomorrow. Julius Randle, 28 points, 17 rebounds, 9 assists in their win, the New York Knicks win over Atlanta. It was the first Nick to have that kind of a line since David Lee did something similar back in 2010. But he leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists. On December 29th, he put up 28, 12, and 11. On December 27th, 29, 14, and 7. The, the dude's just, something's light bulb has gone on for Julius Randle, and he's playing like a beast. That
1: is incredible. Wow. Hey, how about Northwestern taking care of business, finishing 7-2 on the season with a 35-19 win in the Citrus Bowl over Auburn Tigers. Peyton, Peyton Ramsey, 24-35 for 291 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. It is the first time since week two for Auburn that they had not forced a turnover from the other team. Wow. So how about Ramsey and the Northwestern Wildcats getting a big win in dominating fashion? Uh, All right, that's going to do it today for the Full Court Press. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, we'll get you ready for more of uh, Aggies and Lobos. We'll get you a recap of the Jazz Nets game. Hopefully it ends better than it's starting.
2: Yeah, John Newbold will provide updates throughout the evening through his uh, Skyview Bobcats broadcast, so stay tuned for that.